Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the StayMarriedFlorida.com podcast series. My name is Christopher Bruce, and I'm a divorce and family law attorney in Palm Beach County, Florida. And I have the absolute pleasure today of being joined by Wynn Stallings. Wynn is a licensed psychotherapist and certified addictions professional. Uh, She has her office right down the road from mine in North Palm Beach, and um, I'm absolutely thrilled that she was able to come to my office today to record this. So uh, welcome to the show, Wynn. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Part of what we're going to talk about today is the topic of addiction. Specifically, how does it affect relationships and what can the spouse or significant other of somebody who is an addict or showing signs of an addict do to try to improve the situation? But before we get into this, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about your uh, background and what you do in your practice? Yes, I have been in the field since 1997 in various capacities. I actually got my I start working in the uh, Florida Correctional System, have moved on from there and have been focusing on addiction since about 2005 and have developed a particular passion to help family members of addicts. I've seen in my practice that addicts get a lot of help and treatment, but it's difficult for family members who also need help, guidance, support, and education to get some of the help that they need while their loved one is getting sober. Well, I think this is going to be a very useful show here, hopefully for the people who really need the help. Before we really dig into this, maybe you can just explain what an addiction is. I think there's a few misconceptions about what is and what is not an addiction. And for the people listening, it might be helpful to just understand what a professional like yourself thinks an addiction represents. Well, I think we can think of um, addiction as along the lines of a continuum from no use at all to absolute compulsive and perhaps even daily use. And somewhere along that continuum is what people in the field call crossing the line. That at some point you cross the line from being able to control your use to not being able to consistently control your use. And that might be the use of alcohol or another mood-altering substance, or it could be a behavior such as pornography or gambling or shopping. It's the loss of control that tends to demarcate someone who is a user or abuser to someone who we might want to call an addict. Now, in my uh, my family law practice, I do these things called depositions, and basically you ask everybody or ask somebody every question under the sun. And what I've heard a few times is the opposing party in these cases saying, I don't trust your client with the children because her father is an addict and addiction runs in the family. Is, is there any truth to that? Is uh, addiction a uh, genetic type of thing? Yes, uh, there can be a genetic predisposition for persons who have a mother, father, or grandparent as an addict. The likelihood of developing an addiction, regardless of environmental circumstances, increases just due to genetics alone. That being said, people also develop addictions without any known genetic history. Well, the people were right. I thought it was <laughs> thought it was just an unjust criticism, but maybe there was. I guess there was something there. When it comes to addictions, a lot of people commonly hear of uh, people being an alcoholic or a drug abuser. But are, are there other types of addictions out there, or is it just drugs and alcohol? Absolutely, they're what we call process addictions, which uh, process meaning some type of behavior, uh, and essentially. Any behavior can be, can be addictive. It just depends on the nature of the individual 
how often and to what extent, again, there's loss of control when engaging in behavior. So typically things that we think of as a process addiction are gambling, porn, sex, working, even codependency is considered a process addiction. But even today, we're looking at video games, even phones. People say they're addicted to their phones. To the extent that it's costing an individual time, money, relationship, or other quality of life, you could potentially say that there's an addiction. For spouses or significant others of somebody who is or might be an addict, how important is it for that person to learn about their spouse, girlfriend, or boyfriend's addiction or problem? It is very helpful. One of the unfortunate qualities that almost invariably come with someone who has an addiction is deception and manipulation. It just goes with the territory. So for the spouse or significant other, it is important that they recognize the nature of this type of deception because ultimately the addict will use deception or manipulation out of the spouse to get something that benefits the addict. So in order for self-protection, as well as to help stop the addict from progressing further, it's important to learn about that individual's addiction. Also, some addictions have some serious health consequences, such as alcoholism, benzodiazepine addiction. You can't just quit that cold turkey. You need medical detox. So there's a variety of reasons why it's important to understand the addiction itself, so that the spouse can protect themselves and ultimately help the addict not to move forward in their addiction. From uh, your professional viewpoint, how does an addiction affect a relationship? Because I, I think there are a lot of people out there, at least in my experience uh, in practice as a divorce lawyer, that want to pretend that an addiction doesn't exist or it's not that bad. What are your thoughts on that? How, do, how does an addiction affect a relationship in a family unit? Well, everyone in the family is affected. They can't not be affected. And if we think of that continuum from no use to compulsive and daily use, it's a progression. And that's typically how addiction the course of addiction takes. It's a progression. It gets worse and worse and worse over time. Ultimately, the addict, as he moves along the progression of the continuum, his primary relationship, and I say he just to be simple, his primary relationship is with that substance or with that addictive behavior at the cost of every other relationship in the family. So when the spouse of the addict needs affection or needs a partner, and the addict is using, gone from the house, stealing the money, pawning what's in the house, or recovering from the effects of using, then that non-addicted spouse clearly is affected. The children in the house that, that are not above 18, that need care, they're being affected. Everyone gets affected. Now, is it possible for the spouse of an addict to cure the addict of their addiction through intimidation, argument, or just trying to love the addict more? Generally, we say that there's no cure for addiction. So it's management and treatment, but no cure. And by cure, if, if addiction indicates compulsive use, then a cure would then mean controlled use. Some addictions, and I know I'm getting off topic here, but some addictions, there is a measure of the need to learn some degree of control, whereas that's food, because we all need food, and generally sex or work, because that's sex and work is a normal part of life. But for things like gambling or substance abuse, we can go with an abstinence-based management system. Now, can nagging or 
you know, berating or trying to control the addict, does that get them the help they need? Not usually. It might feel better in the moment. It might get the point across, but ultimately that sort of behavior from the non-addicted spouse tends to create more shame and distance in the addict. Now can or will the addicted spouse cure themselves of their addiction out of the love that they have for um, their non-addict partner. I think a lot of people have the thought that my husband loves me, he'll stop using. Is there any truth to that? Generally, no. I'll never say never. (laughs) But generally, the addicted spouse, to the extent that they're able to, they have love for the non-addicted spouse. But as I said, the primary relationship has now become with the addiction itself. And for some substances, there is a physiological dependency that just continues to drive the addict to keep using. For the non-addicted individual, who maybe they drink coffee every day, or maybe they love sugar and dessert. And, and I'll ask them, well, how would you feel if you had to give up your coffee, if you had to give up your sugar and dessert? And, and, and often they'll give a reaction, no, I couldn't do it. Well, think about that's what you're asking this person to do. You're asking them to give this up. So, yes, they love you, but unfortunately they're trapped and they're in bondage to this substance. That's making it very difficult. Now, if an addict is going to get help with their addiction or in the process, maybe they're in a 30-day program, is it important for the non-addict spouse to get help of their own? Or is it just the addict that needs to be cured? No, as we said earlier, because the entire family has been affected through the addiction, the entire family is also part of the solution. So the extent to which family members are willing to also get help through education and through their own support group or through their own therapy, that gives the addict even better chance of success because everyone is learning about the disease at the same time and working on their own individual challenges that the disease has presented to them. For the people who are listening to this that have a spouse or significant other that they believe is an addict, and they've never done anything about the problem before. Maybe they've just put up with it, lived with it, pretended the problem did not exist, Uh, all of those things which I think are somewhat common. Um, What should that person do if they want to try to take action and correct the situation? Where do they go from here? Well, I think, you know, the first step is to reach out for help and to get some education and to get some feedback on what's going on. And some good places to do that are Al-Anon, Adult Children of Alcoholics, Codependents Anonymous, those 12-step fellowships. Also going to a counselor, someone who's knowledgeable in the field of addiction. The non-addicted spouse, the goal necessarily is not to determine whether or not the individual is an alcoholic or an addict. The goal is, is my significant other's use of a substance affecting me? And if so, what and how can I move forward to begin to deal with it? So there's a number of resources to get that help. Once the the non-addicted spouse starts to seek out those resources, is there an ideal way of trying to get the so-called addict on the right track? A 30-day program the best option? Or or is is religion something people can turn to 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 correct the situation? Do you have any just general thoughts on that? I imagine maybe therapy is a good idea. Yes and yes and yes. (laughs) 
the kick here is, um, ultimately, it is the addict's decision. If they are an adult, unless they are in trouble with the law, ultimately it's their decision to get help, which is one of the most difficult things that the rest of the family is dealing with. It's because everyone wants the person to get help, but because of the nature of addiction, they're not going to get help on their own. Their primary relationship is with the substance and with the behavior itself. It's very difficult for family members to understand. So part of family members' decision to get help for themselves is learning to let go of attempting to control the addict and trying to get them into help and learning to start to take care of self, which is really difficult for someone to do, especially in the early stages. That being said, if if the addict decides to get help or if some type of intervention takes place, that could be a formal intervention like what you've seen on television. It could be a Marchman Act, which is a legal procedure that puts an individual in a legal forced choice to get treatment. Sometimes life itself, the addiction itself, creates consequences, an overdose, an arrest, something. The individual decides they've had enough and they want to get help. That being said, the next step could be a myriad of choices. One, if there's an addiction to alcohol or a benzodiazepine like Xanax or Valium, that needs to be medically monitored. Um, it's dangerous to attempt to stop that cold turkey. So that would be a recommendation for detox. Typically, an opiate addict, such as heroin or a painkiller like Dilaudid or Oxycodone, it may not, it, it's very uncomfortable to detox from that uh, cold turkey, but it can be done, or I'm sorry, without being hospitalized. So they could go into an inpatient detox or they could go into an outpatient detox. Ultimately, what we recommend is some, if the addiction has moved far enough along the continuum, is um, inpatient or in-house treatment. You know, we hear the typical 30-day treatment. I personally believe uh, six weeks is because it takes a while for the individual physically to let the chemicals, or for the chemicals to get out of their system, there's a physical recovery, and then there's, after that, a degree of emotional stabilization that has to take place, um, which is really hard for most people in 30 days. That's really a tight timeline. For the average person, I would say six weeks, but that's just me. I do know some people that have spiritual experiences or religious experiences and are able to stay sober. Some people are truly just able to quit on their own. Um, the one thing about treatment is it provides an external source of stability and accountability that most addicts need to help them stay abstinent while they continue to work on their internal ability to choose to say no. You know, I, I've gotten to know you um, over the past year, and I, I know you work with uh, people who are dealing with addiction-type issues. And I guess my question is, is how does counseling help? For the person that is actively using on a regular basis, my level of counseling is really not going to be effective. Okay. It's something greater than what I can provide. So stopping the use is first and foremost at my level of counseling. So if I saw someone they're actively using, I would probably refer them out. Now I could work with the spouse because the spouse or the significant other is in just as much turmoil and probably feels uh, you know, they don't know what to do, they're tired, they're resentful, they're scared, they don't know where to turn. Now that's a good person for me to work with while the addicts get. After the addict gets out of treatment, I find that when couples come in together and they're sort of learning how to do life again, sober, and it takes adjustments for both of them. That's a good time for me to see the addict. 
Also, if someone has not progressed very far, I could see them if they're willing to commit to abstinence and to do some other things in their life to maintain their abstinence. If someone's getting out of treatment with or without their spouse and they need extra help, or they've progressed further along in their recovery and they're still finding their snags, you know, they're, they're sober, they've been sober for a while, but life still doesn't just seem all that pleasant, that's a good person for me to work with as well. Because there's some underlying issues that probably haven't been worked out that they need a little extra help for. Now, when one thing I was just uh, curious about is how do you get an addict to want to get help? I mean, I've just, you know, maybe mistakenly always thought that somebody's got to get to rock bottom before they're going to turn around from an addiction. Um, but there's probably a lot of people listening to this that don't want to see their spouse or significant other get to rock bottom. Is there any type of strategy for trying to get the addict to want to make a change? If you can get a handy-dandy way to get an addict to want to make a change, you're going to be a very rich man. <laughs> uh, that That is the one thing that plagues us all, is uh, unfortunately, due to the nature of the addiction, generally speaking, addicts choose to want to stay sober when they have made an internal decision that the pain of continuing to use is greater than the pain or the fear of living life without drugs and alcohol. There is an immense uncomfortability that the addict must feel to make that decision. And only the addict can decide when they've had enough. Which is why for some people, rock bottom might be losing a job. And for other people, they may never hit rock bottom. Which is why we see people homeless or even dying. Or in prison or in jail. It's really, unfortunately, for the family members, it's very painful uh, to watch. But unfortunately, it's up to the addict to decide when they've had enough. So what we can do on the outside is just do all we can to try to not make the addict's life more comfortable if we don't have to. That is where enabling comes in. A lot of times we tend to pay for the addict's consequences, their legal fees or, um, you know, their bills or you know, financially pay for the consequences, or we might um, lie to other people to say that individual's sick when really they're hungover. We cover up for them. That's a way to make the addict's life comfortable. When we prevent them from having to feel the experiences and the consequences of their addiction, we're making life comfortable, more comfortable for them. It's important, I feel, for family members to not do that. Am I correct in hearing you that basically... The best thing a spouse or a loved one can do to stop an addict's behavior or try to stop an addict's behavior is just stop enabling them? At least taking a look at how enabling might occur. I wouldn't say it's 100% black and white, but usually the enabling makes the addict's life more comfortable and thus makes it easier for the addict to continue using. And it makes the addiction progress further. If the enabling or if the rescuing of the individual's consequences starts early, it may not necessarily, it has a better chance of shortening the duration of the addiction because the addict feels the pain early on of their addictive behavior. Now, when I really 
appreciate you taking the time to drive over to the office today and be a part of this. For the people that are listening that might be in the area around your office, maybe you could give a little bit of information about how they could go about getting in touch with you and how they uh, could start working with you if, if they thought it could be of some help. Sure. My phone number is 561-463-3078. I have a website. It might be difficult to spell because it's my name, but it's uh, com. And from the website, my office address is there as well as email and my phone. You can get me on the phone, 561-463-3078, and my website, winstallingsmhcc.com. Well, perfect, and thanks again uh, for being a part of this interview. Thank you. For more information about StayMarriedFlorida.com, go right to the website, www.StayMarriedFlorida.com. To reach divorce and family law attorney Christopher Bruce, call 561 844 or email him at cbruce at nugentlawfirm.com.